Second Peter chapter three is where we'll launch from today. Peter's always saying that he's going to jet off, so we're going to launch like a rocket, right? What we're going to do? Getting a couple groans. Okay. And as you're finding your place, we'll go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the, the day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for uh, our time together, our fellowship with one another. We thank you for the, the freedom that we have, that we can come out together and uh, get into your word and study, that we can meet together as a church, Lord. We just pray asking you that you would uh, be with us today, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, Lord, and that you would uh, draw us near to you, help us, Lord, to uh, grow in our, our faith and in our knowledge, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you be with us. Uh, those who are still on their way out, you watch over those, those that are still, uh, that are unable to be with us today, Lord, for whatever reason, Lord, just be with them as well. Help us as a church to be a light and a witness to this place that you've put us in. And Lord, please guide me as I, uh, as I teach today, Lord, direct my thoughts and my words, Lord, and we just thank you so much for all that you do, and all these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're looking at, we've been over the past several weeks looking at spiritual health and growth. And uh, over, the, over these past weeks, we have seen uh, different things that I believe are essential for our spiritual health. Uh, we've talked about how we need to put ourselves in the right environment for growth. That just like a plant, if it's in a healthy environment, that is going to grow naturally. But we have to put ourselves in that environment. And when we first started this study, uh, one of the things that I emphasized is that uh, we aren't going to... Uh, grow or be spiritually healthy by default. Right. It doesn't just happen just because we're saved. And there can be people who've been saved for years and years that have even been in church their whole lives that have never actually grown, that have never actually experienced spiritual health because they have not uh, prioritized putting themselves in an environment and surrounding themselves by these healthy nutrients, if you will, that produce growth. Yeah. And so it's not something that just happens by default. And so through this study, what we have uh, tried to emphasize, what we've tried to challenge you to do is to um, see the need for these things and have a desire to implement them into your lives. And so that's our desire. We want, we want to be spiritually healthy. We want to be growing. And so in our passage that we're at here uh, for somewhat of a launch point, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, I've read these two verses several times throughout this study, but it's, I guess, it, it's somewhat of a theme through this study. So, uh, verse number 17, it says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And so Peter is writing to uh, the believers here, and he has been exhorting them, encouraging them through his letter that they would remain faithful, that they wouldn't turn aside uh, after other doctrine, that they wouldn't get discouraged and they wouldn't quit. But instead, he wants to see them growing in grace. And so our desire is for us to grow. If we turn over just a few pages to 3 John, Third John, only one chapter, right? 
verse number two, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of the of thy charity uh, before the church, whom if thou bring if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. And so in Third uh, John, John is writing to a man by the name of Gaius. He is a, a believer in a church, and he has growth. He has maturity. He has an excellent testimony, an excellent spirit about him. And so John is writing to him because he has heard of Gaius's life and his, of his treatment of fellow believers, the way that he was living, and John was encouraged by Gaius. And so in return, John was encouraging Gaius, okay? And so what we saw here is he says, I want you to prosper. I want your you to prosper in all things, in your health and in your life, even as I see that your soul has already prospered. He says, I want your uh, physical health to match your spiritual health. Now, that would be an incredible testimony, right? He said, Gaius, you have already uh, grown so much in the faith. You have already matured so much in the faith. You are producing these fruits. And so his greeting to Gaius is, I want your whole life to grow and to prosper the way that your spiritual life is. And I think a lot of times we're the other way around and we're longing for our spiritual life to prosper the way that other parts of our life is. And so what John says here in verse number four, and this is a verse that's often applied to the family instead of to the Christian family, but it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so John said as a, uh, as a pastor, as a preacher, as uh, an evangelist, a missionary, all the works that John was doing, he says, I have no greater joy than to see that my that, that the people that I have come in contact with, my, with my fellow believers, those who have came to the knowledge of Christ under my ministry or that I have ministered to, I have no greater joy than to see them growing and flourishing in their Christian life. See them keeping constant and steadfast in the faith. And so as we're teaching through this and as we are looking at these things, this is my desire. I want to see all of you flourishing in the faith. I want to see you growing. I want to see you drawing nearer to God. I want to see the fruits of the Spirit being manifested in your life, not for anything that I am or not for any uh, any other joy that I get, then besides the fact that I want to see you all growing, that I want to see your success in the faith. And so that's why we're looking at these things. And uh, I know that we look at many of Paul's epistles and his writings, his letters, and throughout those, he is encouraging uh, the believers to be steadfast, for them to continue, for them to not quit, for them to not fall away. And his encouragement for them is for them to make a decision to prioritize the things of God. For them to make a decision that the things of God outweigh the things of this world, that the things of God are greater than what this world has to offer, that the riches of God are greater than the riches of this world. And so that is his encouragement to them, and that's what we need to be looking at as well. So in kind of our, our last 
lesson on this, or as far as I know, our last lesson on this, kind of bringing everything to a close. The first thing that I want to look at today is evaluating our perspective on this whole thing of living for God, of serving Him, of trying to grow in the Christian life. What is our perspective? How do we look at the Christian life? And how we look at things is going to determine uh, our emotions. It's going to determine our actions. It's going to determine so much else in our life. And so as we look at following the Lord, if we see it as a drudgery, if we question whether or not it is the best route, if we uh, are cold toward the things of God, if we are hesitant toward God and His will and His Word, then we're not going to find ourselves growing. We're going to find ourselves struggling in this area, right? And so we have to determine in our lives, do we value God more? Do we value His way? Or do we value the things of this world? The Bible tells us that we cannot serve two masters, that either we will love one and hate the other, or hold fast to the one and we'll reject the other. And so that's where we're at. We have to decide. Whenever, jo- or whenever Joshua was leading the children of Israel, in Joshua chapter number 24, I think it was, uh, he challenged them and he says, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Right. He says you have to make a decision. And Joshua is making his decision based on the things that he has seen and that he has heard and that he has experienced. He has seen God working. He has seen God moving. God has proven himself to be faithful and dependable. And so Joshua stood before the people of Israel and he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But he says, you have a choice as well. You can serve this world. You can serve the gods of this world. You can do the things that please this flesh. You can try to fit in down here below, or you can uh, seek after the things of God. But what it comes down to is, how are you looking at things? How are you looking at this life? And as we read through the Word of God, as we study it, it changes our perspective. It guides our perspective. It helps us to see the value of God's Word. It helps us see the value of God's way in our lives. helps us see the value of His will in our lives. And we see life not just as this temporary accommodation down here below, but we see it in light of eternity. And that makes a big difference. Because if our perspective is on the here and the now, if it is on temporary comfort, temporary success, if it is on the things of this world, and we prioritize that, we are going to neglect that which is spiritual. We're going to neglect that which is eternal. Because here's one of the the problems that we face. We like uh, instant gratification. We like things that we can lay out on now rather than later. Uh, just as an example, if you would go out and offer someone a uh, hundred thousand euro today, or a million next year, how many of them are going to defer that payment to the next year? Or maybe put a little bit further, five years down the road, you're going to take that ten thousand or that hundred thousand right now, rather than ten times as much in a year or five years' time, a lot of times, right? And you're going to say, well, that is the sure thing. That's what I can see now. That's what I can uh, immediately receive right now. And so it's hard for us to look at the abstract. It's hard to look at the things that are not tangible, that we can't lay hands on right now. And so whenever we look at the exceeding great and precious promises of Scripture, 
when we see God's working in the future, whenever we see his promises for heaven, whenever he challenges us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth, that is difficult for us to do. Because the here and the now seems like the the more sure bet, right? And so we need to change our perspective. We need to value God much greater than what we value this world. We flip back just a page to 1 John chapter number 2. Might be two pages, it depends on your Bible. 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And so we see here that we can't serve two two gods, right? We can't be split. We can't straddle the fence. We look in uh, Revelation, whenever uh, the Lord is speaking to the church of Laodicea, he talks about them being lukewarm. They weren't hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. It says that he would spew them out of his mouth. Uh, what is he saying there? He's saying that they have... Uh, have basically tried to straddle the fence there. They're trying to keep one foot in this world and one foot in the church. One foot in the world, one foot in eternity, right? And so they're trying to serve two masters, and they weren't doing very well at it. And so for this, we need to have a change of perspective. We need to look at things in light of eternity. We need to see God for what he is. We need to see that he is the savior of our soul, that he is assuring us of an eternity, that there is glory ahead, that there is rewards for living for him, that the things of this earth are but temporal. And the Bible says that this life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and it vanishes away. And if we can look at uh, God's way as exceeding superior to the things of this world, it's going to change the way that we go about things. We're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, as the Bible puts it. And it's all about our perspective. And since all of you have come out this morning, you have uh, prioritized coming to church, you are here, you're wanting to learn from God, uh, the Word of God, you're wanting to uh, grow, I believe, or else you wouldn't be here, right? There is a desire, there is at least a bit of an understanding that there is more to this life than this life or else you wouldn't be here. And so we evaluate our perspective. We say, okay, I want what God wants for me. I want to experience his will. The Bible says that uh, God's will for us is good and acceptable and perfect, right? And so we want that. We desire that. And that's our perspective. We are seeking after the things of God. We are looking for that. And so whenever we consider that, uh, the things of God is better than the things of this world. So how do we look at the activities, the disciplines that we've been seeing so far that promote spiritual health and growth? So this is another thing to do with perspective. And so as I talk about uh, us reading our Bibles and learning from the Word of God and studying it out, as I talk about developing a prayer life and having uh, those conversations with God, Uh, attending church and cultivating Christian relationships. 
uh, controlling the influences that come into our lives and prioritizing having good influences and limiting the bad influences that come into our lives that uh, will pull us away from God and that will hinder us in our growth. Whenever we talk about stewardship and seeing our lives and all the things that we have as coming from God and using those for His honor and for His glory. Whenever we talk about witnessing and being a witness and being able to live out in this world in a way that points people to Christ and opening up our mouths and speaking and telling people about what God has done for us. Uh, Whenever I talk about those kind of things, what is our perspective? How do we look at that? Do we see it as being difficult? Do we see it as being oppressive? Do we see it as being an obligation or something that we have to do? Is that how we look at it? It's often presented that way, right? I've heard many, many sermons in the past, many different things where it is uh, a duty, it is an obligation, and it's presented in such a way that if you don't do this, then there are consequences. And so you start doing these things out of fear, out of coercion, out of manipulation, and they become oppressive. And so that is one perspective, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so if we do it out of duty, if we see these things as things I must do, we see it as I have to do this or God is going to be angry with me. I have to do this or God is going to punish me in some way. If I don't do this, then God's going to make my car break down and he's going to uh, make my dog die and he's going to make my family desert. No, this isn't the way that things work, right? But this is how it's often portrayed. This is how we often look at it. And it's not that God's going to be mad at me or he's going to punish me. Sometimes we look at it and say, if I don't do all of these things, then everybody else is going to look down on, uh, look down on me. They're going to see me as being a bad Christian. The pastor's going to call me out from the pulpit. He's going to preach at me. He's going to say bad things about me. And so we start fearing man and we start trying to do things and do all of these things out of performance, trying to please God, trying to please men. And we end up falling into this trap of thinking that we have to do these things in order to be accepted. We start doing these things in order to fit the bill, in order to uh, check the boxes, in order to feel as if we're accomplishing something or that we are worth something. And the reason why I'm going into all this is this isn't healthy. That's not what's going to bring about Christian growth. That's not what's going to draw you closer to God. That's not what's going to cause you to be healthy in your spiritual life. Because what ends up happening with that is that it leads to frustration. It leads to guilt. It leads to resentment, shame, and bitterness. And it might bring outward conformity. Fear and obligation and all these things, they are good manipulators. They are good ways to get you to do things. But our goal in this isn't just to get you to do things. I'm not just trying to get you to check off something on a list. I'm not just trying to get you to go through and jump through religious hoops and hurdles. But what I want to see in your lives, I want to see you truly and honestly growing in the faith. I want to see the Lord transforming you, not you piling on more and more oppressive things that you must do. Okay? See how that's a different perspective that we're trying to get to here. 
And so what ends up happening if we see this as duties or things that we have to do, if we see this as being things that we must perform, then it ends up bringing, like I said, outward conformity, but it doesn't actually bring any kind of transformation. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't change the mind. We just put on a facade. We wear a mask. That's what we do. And I'm not meaning the type for COVID. I mean to obscure our true identity, who we really are. And it leads us to pride. And oftentimes it leads us to entitlement. And what I mean by that, it's God, I did this, so I deserve this. God, I did this, so you owe me that. And so we have this lifestyle, or not this lifestyle, we have this perspective, this mentality that we do these things in order that we will obtain these things from God. We do these things to get God's approval, and it's almost a transaction, if you will. God, I've put in my time, so I deserve my paycheck. Is that not how it tends to work? And it does. It becomes very much a transaction rather than a relationship. And so we end up with the wrong perspective. And so whenever we look at reading our Bible as, I have to do this. I'm required. It's my religious duty and my obligation. Then we do it with dread. We do it without our heart and our mind actually being engaged. I'm sure all of you can relate to this. There's times that we read our Bible. We look at every single word on the page and we walk away and we have no clue what we even read. Right? But I can check it off. I did it that day. I'm seeing everybody smile. Well, some of you smile, some of you scowl. But it says, I can relate, right? And so that's what that breeds. Whenever we uh, look at, okay, I've got to pray. I'm supposed to do this. We utter words, but we don't have any conversation. We utter words. We talk at God. We never actually talk to God. Our hearts aren't there. We'll go through and we'll repeat things. Fall in ruts. And we'll say the same thing over and over again. Our hearts checked out, our minds checked out, but we've prayed, right? Sunday rolls around, the alarm goes off. Oh, gotta get up and go to church. If I'm not there, everybody's gonna think ill of me. I gotta do it, it's my duty, right? And we fall into that sometimes. And so, all of these things that we're looking at, that's spiritual disciplines that bring about health in our lives that are going to cause us to draw closer to God, that's going to transform our hearts and our lives and change our perspective so that we look at this world and we look at this life through the lens of God's Word and through His eyes, these things become oppressive and become duties, become obligations to us, and we begin to resent them. And whenever our perspective is wrong, our practice is going to be wrong. It's going to be hard for us to keep these things up. We're going to feel like a hamster in a wheel. And it's going to be, the Christian life is going to be far from being joyful. Because we are going about it with the wrong perspective. And so as we've been teaching through these things, I've been trying to uh, emphasize the reasons and the results from doing these things. I've been trying to emphasize that this is for our health and it's for our growth rather than it being our religious duty. Okay? 
And so whenever we look at these things as they truly are, I said with duty, a lot of times we have the idea that if I don't do this, God's going to be mad at me or he's going to punish me in some way. But the truth of God's word says that I am forgiven. It's not based upon works of righteousness that I have done. I am not doing these things in order to get his forgiveness. Okay, that is through the blood of Christ. The Bible says that we are accepted in the beloved. So God already accepts me. And so I'm not trying to earn his love. I'm not trying to earn his acceptance. And God desires instead to do a work in our hearts to transform us, to conform us to his image. And he wants to uh, cause us to experience his good and his perfect and his acceptable will. That is the desire there. And it is a relationship that he is wanting, not just uh, lip service. In the Old Testament, I should have wrote this down. I didn't think of it at the time. But in the Old Testament, uh, there is a point in time in the prophets that God actually tells the prophet to tell the people of Israel that he's sick of their sacrifices. Basically, that the sacrifices that they are offering up are a stench in his nostrils that it makes him want to throw up. And he says the reason for that is because they are going through the motions, they are doing the activities, but their heart is far from him. And so he doesn't just desire the activities and the religious rituals. He first and foremost wants our heart behind those. Okay? And so whenever we look at these things that we've been talking about and see them not out of duty, but we see them out of necessity. They are necessary in our lives. Uh, does anyone get up of a morning and say, oh, man, I have to eat breakfast? Sometimes. It depends on if you're on a diet or not. It's like, oh, man, oatmeal again. Oh, chocolate cake. I can do that, right? We don't approach our daily meals and say, oh, man, I got to eat again. No, what I find, especially in my household, yours might be different, but as they're finishing up one meal, they're looking forward to the next. It's like, okay, I'm just finishing off my Cheerios. What am I going to eat for lunch today? Mom, have you planned out what's for supper? And so the things that are necessary, the things that are good for us, the things that we do to maintain our health and our life and our energy are not a drudgery, right? But it should be something that, yes, it's a necessity. We look at it and say, I need to do these things, not I have to do these things. You see the slight difference there, but it's a huge difference. And so I need to do these things to grow and to be healthy, right? I need to do these things to walk with God. I need to do these things to know and to experience the will of God. I need to do these things to enable God to transform me from the inside out. I need to do these things to enjoy the blessings and benefits of being his. He's made all kinds of promises. He's made all kinds of uh, things that are available to us, but it's not going to happen if we tell him to take a hike. We're not interested in him, right? And we also need to do these things in order for us to lay up treasures in heaven. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it is completely different perspective from one to the other. 
And so I don't want us to be looking at this and saying, well, the preacher said I've got to read my Bible. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to read my Bible. <clears throat> We've all been there, right? I don't want us to approach prayer in that way. Instead, I want to see it and say, okay, I'm going to go to God's word because my soul needs fed. I'm going to go to God's word because this lets me know more about the God who loves me and saved me. I'm going to go to God's word because I am constantly inundated by the trash of this world. I need a heavenly perspective to start off my day. I need to be able to have something good to meditate upon because there are going to be plenty of bad things that are crowding out my, in my mind. I need something to reorient me, to direct me. So I'm going to come to God's word and allow it to get a hold of my heart and my mind and help, it, help me to get uh, a firm foundation, a firm footing on the things of God before this world comes and wrecks my life, in a way of speaking, right? And so it is a change of perspective. And so as we look at these things, God won't be mad at us if we don't. It doesn't matter what other people think. But if we want to be spiritually healthy, if we want to grow, if we want our lives to be changed and transformed in the way that God wants them to be, if we want to experience God's will and his blessings in this life, then it's going to take us putting ourselves in an environment where we're surrounded by the things of God, where we are constantly putting ourselves in direct connection with God and God's people. And so we're going to have to be filling our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes with things that are good and lovely and holy and precious and all these things in the Word of God in order for us to experience the good things that God has for us. We can choose not to. We can choose to not grow. We can continue being right where God found us at. We can do that, and we can go all the way to heaven that way. I firmly believe that. But we are going to miss out on so much if we do that. And I don't want to miss out on those things. I don't want to get to heaven empty-handed. I don't want to be at the same place as what God found me. I want to grow. I want to experience his blessings. I want to see what it is to walk with him and to be in that fellowship. I want to know what his will is and experience that. I want to have his hand on my life and his guidance in my life because I found out a long time ago, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay? And in order to do that, then I'm going to have to uh, look at these things from the right perspective. I'm going to have to prioritize these things. I'm going to have to see them as important. And so not just our perspective, our priority. Just as a little bit of a disclaimer here, though, I'll say I fear sometimes as I'm talking about this because I know oftentimes it, ha it is preached as an imperative. There is pressures, there's expectations, there is duty, there's obligation that is often attached to these things. And it causes people to do the right things for the wrong reasons, right? And I fear sometimes that whenever I unload that fear and that obligation and all those things, that it is going to result in an overcorrection. You ever been driving down the road and you, uh, you have to swerve to miss something and you overcorrect and next thing you know you're like about to lose control in the... You ever do that? Oversteer? 
I've watched the girls playing video games before. You know, you get to like these uh, arcade games where you've got the steering wheel and the, the pedals and everything in and uh, we go down to the bowling alley and the girls put the money in and they, they start driving and next thing you know, they're going from this guardrail to that guardrail to that guardrail. To, it's like ping pong, boom, 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 boom. And they're overcorrecting, right? And this is a fear that I have sometimes is that whenever I unload the guilt and the fear and the manipulation off of these things, that there's going to be an overcorrection and say, okay, I don't have to, so I'm not going to. Because isn't that somewhat our human nature? And you may not have to, but I know that you need to in order to experience God's best, in order to truly lay up treasures above. And in not doing these things, we're going to stagnate. We are going to have an anemic Christian life. And we are going to miss out on truly great blessings from God because we haven't done it. And so I, I want you to be doing these things, but I want you to be doing them with the right mindset, the right perspective, right? The right heart. Doing it for the right reason. And so before we move on, any, do, does anyone have any comments, any questions, or anything to add to this as we're talking about having the right perspective in godly disciplines, in Christian disciplines? Any wisdom from experience or anything? Nothing at all? Hmm. I don't know if, uh, if we, we are there yet, maybe because I communicated late. We are talking about uh, seeing the Christian growth in us. Mm-hmm. And uh, things that we need to do in order to manifest that growth, but mm-hmm. not things that we want to do. So I don't know if you uh, there's a question. We are still going through things that I know that there's much that we 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 all know we need to do. Mm-hmm. But are we still going through things that need to do in order to show our Christian growth? Or in, in another way is that how do you define your your growth in Christianity. Okay. Well, two things. With what we're looking at here, it is seeing it from the right perspective, seeing it in the right light, our attitude toward these things. We read the Bible, we understand that these are ingredients, if you will. These are things that nourish our soul, that encourage growth, that draw us closer to God, that that God uses to change and to conform, to transform us. And so we, I think we universally agree that these are things that are needful, that are healthy, that are good for us. But if we have the wrong perspective, if we look at it in the wrong way, then they can become uh, oppressive or we can kind of push back against them. Or we will do these things, but we'll do it with the wrong attitude, the wrong heart. We'll see it as things I've got to do this rather than uh, I have to do this rather than I need to do it. I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, not because this is good for me. Okay, and so the the first challenge is just for us to have the right perspective about it 
and see that the things of God are good, that they are things that are to be desired, that what they lead to is something that we should uh, covet, that we should want to have Christian growth. And the second thing is you ask about how do we, how do we measure it? How do we decide whether we're growing? And in a way that can be difficult because we are bad at self-evaluation, right? I know I myself, I'm bad at self-evaluation and I always feel as if uh, I'm underperforming. And some of this is going to depend on how you're wired. Some people are overconfident and they always see themselves as doing much better than what they are, right? And then some people are the opposite and they always see themselves as doing much worse than what they are. Okay? But I think that there's a problem whenever we get focused on performance or on results. Uh, I think the main thing for us is to focus on walking with the Lord today and allowing Him to bring the, the results, the transformation at His rate, at His pace. And so we put ourselves in the environment for growth and we allow him to bring about the growth. So if we look at it from the perspective of uh, like gardening or planting or something, we can put the seed in the ground. We can till up the ground around it. We can put fertilizer on it. We can nourish it. We can pull the weeds out. We can make sure that uh, it has the water that it needs and that it's getting the sunlight it needs and all that. But ultimately, the growth is not determined by us. We can't make a plant grow. Right? So as we are putting ourselves in the environment where we can grow, God makes the growth. Uh, I know this might be a little bit out of context, okay? But the Bible does say that one sows and other waters, but God gives the increase. The truth in that is that we can put the right ingredients in there, but it's up to God to bring about the true growth from it. And so we find that it's, uh, in the Bible, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. We see that uh, there are certain listings in the Bible of the fruit of the Spirit. And that means that whenever we are putting ourselves in an environment where we can grow, that the Spirit works in us and brings forth these fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, kindness, uh, a few others that I always forget. And, but you will never grow unless it's the fear of God. Not right. The proper fear of God. Right. Not, not a fear of God as a reverence. Tyrant up there. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Bible says that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want wisdom, you want to do what's right, and there has to be a focus out. What I'm going to do things my way today. You know? My will be done and not yours, God. You know? Right. I think once you get those two crossed over, then you can forget about fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we can even serve God yeah. out of our own instead of out of God. We're not following Him anymore. We're following us and doing what we think needs to be done. So. Yeah. But um, but the the idea of the fear of God, it comes down to seeing... God as greater, right? 
that is a reverence, that is a respect for God. And so it goes back to what we were first talking about as seeing him greater than this world. And whenever our respect is toward this world instead of toward God, we're not going to grow. Whenever we fear man more than we fear God, we're not going to grow. But I'm, I'm always hesitant in using the, the term fear. I know it is a biblical term, but it is one of them that has changed its meaning a lot since it was written in the Bible. And so we associate it with fear as in uh, like fearing a lion in the, in the jungle, you know, as fearing uh, a guy with a gun on the streets or, you know, fear as being a negative thing. And I can even compare it to the fear that we would have for a parent. But some people are raised in an environment where they were afraid of their parent. And so that's not necessarily a good thing, right? But we have a healthy respect for God. Right? Also, the parent, um, I'm going to say, child shouldn't be brought up to fear the parent, but it should also have respect for the parent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the the biblical idea of fear it would be mo- more closely related to our modern idea of respect, reverence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, do we answer your question? Peter? Yeah, I guess it, it, in a way you touch it in a way that there's no measurement possible that we can measure in human perception, perceptive, unless I guess it's just God measure how do you, but. Fear in the way that you say, how do you believe in him? And, and, and I think by fearing him, by believing him, that's only what God will, will, will judge on it. Not, I know there's, there's these things of things we need to put in place, such as I'm a Christian, I need to be in church every Sunday, I'm a Christian. I need not to do Y and Z. Yeah. And that's perceived to be like, yeah, that's a good question. That's the, the but again, it, it goes opposite of, yeah. of what has been, has been put in place. If I was to just make it extremely simple to measure growth in the Christian life, it would be in terms of uh, obedience and faithfulness. Okay? Yeah. Obedience and faithfulness. If you are remaining faithful to him and you are seeking to obey him, then you're going to grow. Uh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I believe that it's that, like the Bible says, that still small voice that tells you, mm-hmm. hey, you know you should be doing this and you should be doing mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? It convicts you specifically with Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, not just... Right. Yeah. And so as we are walking with God daily, as we are seeking his best, we're reading his word, we're coming to him in prayer. His spirit is communing with our spirit. He's guiding us daily. He's drawing us closer to him. And a lot of times the growth is imperceptible at first, but you look back over your life and you look back five years, 10 years, and you say, okay, I'm not what I was then. There's something that has changed in me. My 
my heart, my attitude, my actions are different than they were then. And we start seeing God's Spirit working out these fruits in our life. And I can say, okay, 10 years ago, I would have reacted in that situation completely different than what I do now. I would have felt completely different than what I do now. Well, what's changed? We see that the Spirit is working in us, and it is bringing patience. It's bringing gentleness. It's bringing meekness. Right? I think we're always going to see it in works as well. Mm -hmm. But I think it is, do you love God more than you did Mm -hmm. 10 years ago? Yeah. Because if you're loving, you're going to see you keep these commandments. I'm not saying you're going to keep all of them. I'm just saying. See, this is where we get back to uh, uh, this performance-based mentality, and we want some sort of a metric that we can measure and say, okay, what can I look at and what have I accomplished? And really it is about growing in our knowledge of him, our love for him, our respect for him. And so, you know, 10 years ago, maybe I didn't care what he thought in the situation. But you, but, did, but you did all the outward things, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Now it might be the opposite. You know, let's say... Yeah. You get what I mean. But I will say that I don't believe we're ever going to grow if we aren't surrounding ourselves with these things that we've been looking at. If we don't have uh, our focus on the Word of God, looking at it for nourishment, if we don't have a prayer life, if we are uh, not seeking to control worldly influences in our lives, if we're not uh, fellowshipping with other Christians and being encouraged and encouraging, using our uh, spiritual gifts that God has given us to minister one to another, then I don't know that we're ever going to experience any kind of real growth. That growth doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? And so this is where I'm wanting us to prioritize these things. I want us to see them as important. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we've looked at that verse several times throughout this study, but it shows priority. And so are we seeking his kingdom first? Well, what does it mean to seek his kingdom? We're seeking for him to be exalted and for him to have control, right? A king rules, a king reigns. And so I want his will to be done, not my own. I want the things that please him, not me. I want to see his agenda being brought forward, not my own, right? So if we're seeking his will first, we're saying, okay, God, I want you to change me, transform me, make me into what you would have me to be. He told his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We follow him, he's going to make us different than the way he found us, right? And so we're going to follow him. He's going to make us. And so we set a priority to seek him first and to seek his kingdom. And then we see as a result of that, that he is going to then take care of us. He is going to provide for us. He's going to watch over us. Because if he is our king, if he is our Lord, if he is our father, then he has taken on himself the responsibility for our care and our welfare, right? If we rebel against him, if we go against the things that he has outlined in his word, if we are disobedient 
and unloving toward him, then we have none of those guarantees of his blessings and his benefits. Okay? As long as my children are in my house, I'm going to see to it that they're kept safe and they're provided for. But if they turn 18 and say, I'm legally responsible for myself, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you do, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find my own way, I'm no longer responsible for their health and their well-being, right? So you put yourself under God's household. You put him in leadership. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he is going to make sure that you're cared for as the good father that he is, right? And so we prioritize. We seek first. We desire God above the world. We desire eternity above this life. And uh, if we get this backward, if we see other things as more important, if we crave after the things of this world, if we seek after worldly pleasures and worldly success, then we are going to be spiritually anemic and there's going to be no growth that occurs. And we are going to cost ourselves the blessings and benefits of being in his will and following after him and seeking him first. Okay, so this is what I want us to do. I want us to uh, prioritize and say this is what is most important. I want us to have the right perspective and say this is for my health. This is for my good. This is for God's glory. Yes, I can spend my life any way that I want it. I can expend my energies any way that I want it. But it is beneficial for me. It is good for me. It is healthy for me to be seeking after the things of God and putting myself in the place where I'm near him, I'm drawing near to him, where I'm doing the things that's pleasing to him, where I'm going to grow, okay? And so the very last thing that I have here, and don't have a whole lot of time here, I'm not going to dwell too long on this, but we looked at our perspective and our priority. The third thing is our practice. It's got to be practical, Okay. Whenever we're talking about uh, reading the Bible, well, what does that look like in a practical sense? I can just say that, read your Bible. Well, how do I go about that? And people have different ideas about this. People think, okay, well, I need to read the Bible through in a year. Well, that's, that's a good thing to do, right? But not everybody has the capacity to do that. Not everybody has the time. Not everybody has maybe the reading comprehension or abilities. Not everybody has the capacity to read that much. But what's more important that we check off a certain amount, that we do it a certain way, or that we actually read for understanding and for health. And so in practically speaking, we need to make sure that we are approaching God's word, seeking nourishment, seeking to hear from God whenever we get to his word, rather than doing it out of necessity. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. And so I would rather you read five verses or ten verses and actually understand them and think on them throughout the day than to read five or ten chapters and have no clue what you read. Right? Rather than starting in Genesis and reading through and getting hung up on Leviticus and Deuteronomy and stopping, I would rather you read the parts that you actually can pay attention to and understand and enjoy. If you get hung up in Leviticus, go to Joshua, go to Matthew, go to somewhere, right? 
But see, here's the main thing is that you are in the word of God, allowing it to do a work in you, that you're reading it for understanding. You're reading it for nourishment. When you're going to God in prayer, you're not doing it just, uh, we sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and you think, oh man, an hour of prayer? Good luck with that, right? But the Bible talks about not using vain repetition as the heathens do, not praying mindlessly, not just saying words for the sake of saying words. The Bible talks about how the heathen thinks they'll be heard for their much speaking. That makes it sound like God doesn't want you to just say a bunch if you don't have anything to say. And some of the most effective prayers in the Bible are very short. And so it's not about how much you pray. It's about your heart whenever you pray. You're going to God in conversation. You're going to speak to Him. It's not even about the position that you pray in. You don't have to be on your face on the floor in your bedroom or wherever else. You pray going down the road. You can pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And uh, I find it helpful. God brings uh, a person to our mind. God, be with, be with that person today. Don't know what they're going through, but just help them out in whatever they're going through. Situation, you, you, you go about and you're having a conversation with God. I do think it's helpful to have a, an appointment, have a time and a place where you do pray, but not to confine your prayer to that or not have great expectations for that. You need to go and actually be thinking on God, actually be communicating with God, and nothing says you even have to be speaking the entire time. Sometimes it's good to be silent and allow God to speak, right? Think on the things of God. Meditate. I'll tell you, I have trouble with this one, okay? If I try to pray and I try to be silent whenever I pray and just to listen and to think and to meditate on the things of God, you know what ends up happening for me? My mind's nuts. And my mind is bouncing around like a bouncy ball and it's all over the place and I'm definitely not thinking on the things of God. But what that comes down to is each of us individually need to cultivate a relationship with God because prayer isn't a ritual. It's not something that we are doing uh, routinely. It's not something that we are doing uh, just as uh, memorized prayers that we recite and that kind of thing. But instead, we are talking to God, taking all of our cares, our concerns, our burdens to Him. We are seeking His help, His forgiveness. And that's how it works out practically in our life. And it's going to be different for everyone. And so what I'm trying to get across in all of these disciplines that we're looking at is they're not one size fits all. Sometimes we get this expectation and it has been presented this way multiple times that you need to be having devotions that look like this. You need to be praying in this manner. You need to go after this pattern. You need to be reading this volume and this amount. You need to, and it's going to look different for every person. Because it is a relationship. It is a personal walk with God. And so you need to figure out who you are the way that God has. This is something that's been difficult for me, just being transparent for a minute, is we can compare to one another, look at other people and the way that they do things, and feel as if what you're doing is subpar in some way. But God has made every one of us unique. He's made every one of us with different capacities, different personalities, different uh, uh, different ways of looking at things, different ways in which we work. We talk about uh, reading reading the Bible, for instance. Some of you may do better off by listening. We have so many different formats. 
You can be going down the road to work and listening to a Bible app and still being hearing the Word of God, right? You can be reading. You can be. You, there's all kinds of things. There's uh, preaching and podcasts and all kinds of things that are available. We can be surrounding ourselves with these, but each of us have access to this. But each of us are going to be uh, growing in different ways. But here's the thing: we need to be seeking Him first and His righteousness. So the way that this practically looks in your life is going to be different for each and every one of you. But if your desire, if your heart is toward God, if your perspective is the things of God are good, growth is desired, and these things are for my health, for my goodness, to draw me closer to God, if we are prioritizing and saying, okay, this is important, I'm going to be doing this, then we're going to be putting these things into practice and we're going to be making them happen, right? According to the gifts that God has given us, according to the personality that he has given us. So with that being said, you'll have any any comments, anything to add to this this morning? I didn't read the passage that I have written down here as far as making our Christianity practical. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? That comes back to what Kevin was saying a minute ago about the fear. But whenever it says work out your own salvation, it's not saying work for it, it's saying work it out. After you're saved, then it's up to each of us individually to determine what God has for us, what he desires for us, what works in our lives. And so it's not for me to impose upon you. It's not for me to tell you how to live your Christian life. But it is up to each and every one of us to decide, is God my priority? Am I desiring Him first? Am I wanting to see growth in my life? If I am, how am I seeking Him? What is my relationship with these gifts that He has given, these uh, tools that He has given me to grow me and cultivate growth in me. And so we're going to be working our, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Anybody have anything? Comment? Argument? Okay, well, if anyone has anything, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. I'll take a short break. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for the study that we've done. I know uh, over the past years I've had to uh, had to correct thinking and uh, reevaluate so many different things, Lord. But Lord, I just pray, ask you that you would help us, Lord, to see these things in the right perspective, Lord, that we would prioritize the, the things of God and prioritize growth and a walk and a relationship with you. And Lord, help us to put it into practice in our daily lives and seeking after you and, and seeing you work out of these things in our lives, Lord, that we can draw closer to you, become more like you. And Lord, we, we do love you. We praise you. We thank you for all you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.